Hello, hello. We have been gone taking a Thanksgiving break, and I hope that all of you guys had a fantastic Thanksgiving break, but we're back, and on this week's episode, we are going to be discussing the truck as it applies to evidence collected on November 8th, 2018. So, Laura, take it from here. Okay, so here's the November 8th story about the truck. When officers showed up at the scene after getting the call, Jordan Shreve wasn't on the scene, and neither was his truck. He shows up shortly after the officers begin their investigation in that same truck. He drives down his street, which he knows is a cul-de-sac, despite the fact that he can see that parked in front of his home are many police cars and other emergency vehicles. Um, He also parks that same truck in front of his house, again, despite seeing that there are police cars and realizing something's going on. So he parks the truck in front of his house and gets out of it, doesn't go back to the truck, never touches it again, gets out of it sort of normally trying to see what's happening, closes the door behind him. And that truck in that condition is what the officers took possession of in order to what they thought would be use it as evidence against him. Yeah. No, I think especially interesting is he pulls up and they approach him in the truck and he gets out immediately and the door's open and the keys are still in the ignition. So he has no no opportunity really to take anything or anything like that because he pulls he pulls on the street. It's a dead end street and a cul-de-sac at the end. So once he turns and he sees that there are police cars there and a fire and an ambulance there or whatever's there, he can't back up or anything. So he, he drives down the street, pulls up to the police. They pull him out of the car, the truck. And the truck is basically in the best condition the investigators could hope for if he was trying to hide anything because he didn't get an opportunity to do anything after he saw the police were there. Yeah, Jordan was dirty. The truck was filthy. So the truck left Van Buren impound approximately four to five days later. The truck was actually registered to James Shreve. The truck went from Van Buren impound to Pam's house. From Pam's house... It sat unspoiled, untouched. I hired someone, and they were bringing the truck to my office, where it sat for quite some time, and I photographed it. And it was dirty. There was dust on the console. Everything was archaeologically intact from the 8th and probably long before. The idea if maybe he left to to clean up or clean the truck up or clean up evidence or whatever, I think they saw that it was intact. I mean, no one had taken it to a car wash. It was dirty, it was beat up, had stuff all in the bed of it, and there was no blood anywhere. And what they tested was the door handle, they tested the, the gear shift, and they test, I think, some area of, I think, the, the steering wheel. All three, if he had any sort of blood, any sort of blood on him, it's going to get on one of those three areas. So they, they test those three, which is where the blood would be, and they don't find any. But they also don't find anything else in any part of the truck that leads them to think, oh, we should test this. So like Chad said, it's dirty. It clearly hasn't been cleaned in a while, but there's no blood anywhere. And then they test the three areas where even if you can't see it, there might be some sort of positive test, and there's nothing. I think the truck has interesting attributes that continue to show that Jordan had nothing to do with this. The other thing about the truck is that suspects have a right to remain silent, of course, but for things like a truck or other personal property officers, if they think it's important, they can get a warrant and take it into evidence. And Jordan Shreve voluntarily gave them the keys 
and he gave them access to his truck as soon as he arrived on scene. I mean, that's not in dispute. The officers agreed with that. You know, Jordan basically says, here, sure, search my car, here, or search my truck, here are the keys. Voluntarily gave them access to the entire thing and didn't make them, for instance, go get a warrant or, you know, ask a judge if they could search it. He just says, of course, go ahead. I have nothing to hide. That obviously suggests that, you know, he really didn't have anything to hide. And the officers scoured that truck to find something they could prove that this person who they allege had just murdered a child and then escaped the house in his truck or fled the house in his truck had done so. He had fled the house in this truck in their story to hide evidence. So they they scoured the truck. They did DNA you know, swabs. They did all sorts of forensic stuff to that truck. They didn't find a shred of evidence blood evidence, evidence of anything that was Olivia's or anything like that in this truck. So, you know, he basically lets them search the truck and then they find nothing in the truck, which is what he knows because he didn't do it. And, you know, that's sort of where where it was. That's right. They didn't find anything. Serology was negative for every swab that they they took from the truck. Memory is that Jordan was invited immediately upon pulling up on November the 8th to go for a ride to the Damon Police Department. And, and not only was his truck still running, as, as Chris said, or the keys were in the ignition, but he left his phone in the truck, which he later told the cops, yeah, you can, you can go through. I don't even have a password on there. The truck falls into a very broad category, which is known as exculpatory of Jordan Shreve. And nobody seemed to care. So exculpatory for the listeners... It just means it tends to prove that someone is innocent, right? Um, so exculpatory evidence is evidence that tends to prove that the person who's accused of doing something is actually innocent. Generally, I mean, the law says that prosecutors have to turn over all exculpatory evidence, and that becomes important for a lot of this case. But that's what exculpatory means. It means that evidence that even a little bit shows that someone's innocent. And so the this truck, Jordan's truck, is one of the universe of all of that exculpatory evidence of evidence that tends to prove he's innocent. I mean, technically, all of the evidence in this case is exculpatory because um, Jordan is innocent. But, you know, this is a really important piece of that puzzle to show that he's innocent. And to Chad's point, the officers didn't care. I mean, they didn't find anything linking him to this murder in that truck. They had originally obviously considered it a very important piece of evidence because they took it right away. They took possession of it right away. They had this story in their heads that he had fled in this truck, despite the fact that he, again, came back um, after, you know, having dropped someone off, which is what he told them the entire time. But anyway, that's a diff- for a different time. But yeah, the officers considered this a very important piece of evidence. And the fact that they don't find anything linking him to any part of this murder in that truck doesn't make them pause and say something like, maybe we're on the wrong path. You know, maybe we um, have the wrong person here. How could someone have just violently murdered a child and then supposedly fled the scene right away to, I don't know, get away? And then, you know, I mean, in the officer's story and the, the DA's story at trial, you know, Jordan fled the scene in that truck because he was guilty. So how could he have fled the scene after this horrific crime, come back to the scene while officers were still there? They can see he doesn't have any time to clean it or do anything like that. You know, 
he voluntarily gives up his truck to the officers to search, and they don't find anything linking him to the murder, even though they're pretty sure they will. They don't find anything and still think he had something to do with it. Let's don't forget with regards to the truck, there are a couple of other just super interesting things. The truck, the timeline is corroborated by Billy Freeman, Joyce Freeman, a Freeman child that was old enough to speak and no one spoke to, phone records, cell tower locations, which by the way, Wesley Marsh, if you're listening to this at some point or your family is, I would still like the cell tower historical location logs that I know you pulled because I have a handwritten list that accidentally was turned over to me, but I would still like to see those. Jordan's location at all times from his trip from Grant Circle to Shibley Road and back were documented by at least a half a dozen data points, right? And that's a very big deal. There were no detours by a car wash. In fact, I'm going to go one step further. We have that truck going by the Citizens Bank, which is north of Granite Circle on North Ridge Road. We have video of that truck going by on the opposite side of Citizens Bank on North Ridge Road is a car wash. Ironically, in full circle Simba style, is the car wash we see Chase DeCruz sitting at when he goes to a location he wasn't toned out for. However, Jordan doesn't stop at the car wash. He goes on North Ridge. They know his location at all times based on evidence, like other evidence they refuse to turn over and they're not going to now. They probably shredded it like a crime scene log. The truck itself, I think the jury found incredibly important because it just, you know, it's it's race ipsa, not to try and speak a dead language, but it is what it is. It was dusty. It was dirty. There was stuff in there that corroborated the fact that they went to um, the doctor on November the 7th. That's laying on the console. It was laying on the console outside of this office where we're recording this as it sat after I had it brought up here. The Suboxone prescription. That's right. It's on the console. Again, corroborating what Jordan said. And it's dirty, so it hasn't been cleaned at all recently. I mean, there's and it's an explanation. So I cleaned it two days before or whatever. But it's still dirty, so it hasn't been cleaned in a while. And there's not little spots that look like they've been cleaned. There's nothing to indicate there was any evidence tying him to the crime in that truck at any point in time. So I know we're not talking about the trial right now. Um, <laughs> I know we aren't. But if there had been any of that evidence... The prosecutor would have introduced it at trial. And the prosecutor is not the person who introduced the photos of the truck at trial. We were. <laughs> you know, we are, our defense team introduced these photos. The jury asked specifically to see those photos because we knew that they proved, as Chad said, that they were exculpatory to our client. They proved he was innocent. And we told them that and we wanted the jury to see them. I mean, think about that. You know, we wanted the jury to see the vehicle that this supposed murderer had supposedly fled the scene in after supposedly committing this horrific crime in which there was blood and other, you know, potential evidence. And we knew that because Jordan was innocent, there would be no evidence of the murder in his truck. And so we wanted the jury to see them and the prosecutors didn't, you know, the officers, they took possession of the truck, they searched through it, they had as much time and as much um, authority as they wanted to search through it, do any kind of test they wanted. Um, and, they, you know, it's just it's important to know that they never made another big deal about it after they had originally taken and searched it. And the reason they didn't is because it had nothing they, it couldn't help them prove this false theory that Jordan had done it. It actually hurt their case. 
But it's a good example of how every piece of evidence has problems if you look at it too closely. Because even on the toe sheet, there are certain issues. Say more, Chris. I'm going to jump in real quick. I'm going to fall back real quick on towing as it relates to municipalities. It wasn't until after 2007 that Arkansas had regulations on non-consent towing. And so tow companies, as a general rule, the large staple of their business is being on a rotational list for crime scenes, for wrecks and otherwise. And so what happens over the course of time is a tow company will get called like on State v. Shreve on that day, or if there is a wreck, right? But they get to bill insurance. They get to bill the individual who owned the car, maybe double dip. I don't really care, but I think it's just contextually important. And so we we know that a tow company was called on November the 8th, and we know that the truck left. We know these things to be true. We know they ended up at the Van Buren Police Department. We can, we can believe that because we have photographs inside of their large evidence bays with overhead doors, but then there are some interesting things that Chris found along the way when we started sending out subpoenas. And Chris, do you remember what any of those were? Uh, regarding the time that it was towed or that they couldn't, they didn't have slips related to, they didn't have any history of towing this truck. If I'm remembering right. Yeah. They had no record of it. They gave several reasons for why that may be. And I think it was one of those things that we just didn't have enough time preparing for trial to go all the way down that rabbit hole. But there were issues with the, the tow slip and the time it was towed, and whether or not Jordan was even on scene at the time that they said they hooked it up. Listen, let me jump in there. So we we know uh, really close. We know better than anyone else. I will say it that way. Approximately, let's don't get into the three nine one one calls, right? But we know approximately what time Jordan got there and got back, right? Yeah. And so what time did Jordan approximately get back to Grand Circle after 911 calls? One. Chad, you're testing my memory with that. 12.45, one. Well, look, the latest time that there is a there is a timestamp of a 911 call is 12.20, okay? Right. Everybody okay. says minimum of 45 minutes, somewhere around an hour Jordan gets back, right? Right. That puts us at about 1.20, 1.30, right? Right. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. We do have one slip of paper. From the tow company. What time does it say that they loaded up Jordan Shreve's truck? 12.30. How in the hell is that possible? Well, it's not. Okay. So, no. So that's not possible, right? But we have photographs from the coroner's office of Jordan Shreve's truck on the rollback. We have a tow slip filled out by Scotty Wooten that says 12.30. How in all the holy hell... Does the coroner, anybody in the coroner's office, have any camera that has Jordan Shreve's truck on the rollback no matter what time he got there? And why would the coroner take a picture of his truck anyways? 100% so, Joe. They should not. And look, we never even got into this trial or pretrial because we had too many other motions that were highly important. And Jordan Shreve's truck, again, was exculpatory. But under what legal authority did they take it? What was their probable cause to seize Jordan's truck? For listeners, nobody should have known who the hell Jordan Shreve was until 1.30 approximately on November the 8th. They shouldn't have even believed he existed, evidenced by the fact that Eva Shreve was in the back of the police car. James Shreve Sr. was in the front of a police car. Jordan Shreve was a unicorn that someone said existed until someone pulled up in a black truck, unless more than one people lied their ass off when they wrote reports that were cleared by supervisors. And that is what we call facts. 
Eva, while she is sitting in the back of DeCruz's cop car, tells Perry about Jordan. And she actually initially tells officers at the scene that Jordan left that morning and hadn't come back home since. However, when asked who called 911, she then has to admit that Jordan was at the house and he is the one that called 911. And then, of course, according to Officer Wooten's police report, he wrote that he asked Eva while they were talking in the kitchen about Jordan and why he left after calling 911. And we have no idea how he obtained that information because it's not noted anywhere. It's just amongst his report that he asked her about it. Jordan Shreve pulled up at a dead-end cul-de-sac around one... Actually, we know when he pulled up, or at least we know when he left. We know that from Officer Hernandez's video. We know when he left the scene. He left at approximately 1.19 p.m. Regardless, the eldest detective on the scene left to go interview this dude, leaving a guy who had been a detective for less than 12 months at the murder of a dead two-year-old, but he took Jordan to the police station, or he left to meet Hernandez at the police station. The officer that I have on documents saying he transported Jordan to the police station is not the same one that you have on documents claiming to have transported Jordan to the police department. Shocking. Here we go. The video doesn't line up with a written document somewhere in state what felt like world against Jordan Shreve, but somehow yet another anomaly. Videos, photos, reports, written word don't line up with timestamps and otherwise, or even people who did a certain thing. What a shock. The dash cam footage also has a timestamp, which we know is inaccurate because we have footage of Jordan being interrogated at the Van Buren Police Department and the exact same time is featured on that timestamp and he can't be in two places at once. That's right. It's just another piece of evidence that has an inaccurate timestamp and there are several in this case. It's almost like that's intentional. So when all the timestamps are wrong, all the reports are wrong, nothing lines up, it's not incompetence. It's bull. Shit. Full stop. It's bullshit because all that stuff's messed up and then they don't do basic stuff that they should do that would probably just help Jordan further so they don't look into it. Like there's clearly stuff in the bed of the truck but once they test the the door handle and the steering wheel and the gear shift and there's no blood they're like let's not look into it any further. Like we don't we don't need more evidence that he didn't do this. That's not going to help us. So they just goes unmentioned. They they don't even take photographs of what's in the back of the truck. The coroner's office also strategically takes a picture of the truck on the tow bed, but does not capture the actual tow truck where you would be able to see the company that towed it. We sent a subpoena to, I believe, White's Towing, I think, yep. out of Van Buren. Yep. Their response was, and Chris spoke with them, which was basically... We don't have any documentation. We can't really tell you what time it was. What generally happens is that if cops call us to come get a vehicle, we just go get it and we don't bill the cops for it. It's something like they may have, maybe they wrote that after the fact, or maybe maybe they documented it later. And they Sometimes they don't have time to do it at the time they're telling the vehicle. Yeah, or after the fact. Right. Or hell, for all we know. I mean, look, if a, if a guy with a badge and a gun, or if at least two of them, like Chase the Crew and Scotty Wooten, if they affirmatively destroy evidence, well, shit, why wouldn't a tow company? Like, your lifeblood depends on, you know, 
X percentage, X set percentage of your income as a business, as a tow company. I don't care if it's Whites or someone in Fayetteville, Arkansas. It depends on calls from the police. And you build the insurance, you build the driver. It doesn't really matter. Well, why wouldn't they destroy evidence? I don't mean to be conspiratorial, except to the extent that every time we have been conspiratorial on State versus Jordan Shreve, it's turned out that we were right. Well, wouldn't state tax dollars be paying for this towing since it was done by police? Well, my memory is, and Chris will tell me, is that they didn't charge the Van Buren PD. They just they do it on cases like I this think, so they can get the wreck cases on the side of I-40 or whatever. I think what it was was something along the lines of we don't always charge them. Or that there might be times where... They call out of the blue and, and we don't charge them. Why? That's a that's a great question. Uh, probably, and this is a guess, and there's two more experienced lawyers here, but probably to remain on the good side of the Van Buren Police Department so that they call you for stuff they will pay for. Or so there's not a record because money leaves a trail, a very clear and traceable trail. Well, one thing, and, and Sojo's pointing to... The only document that exists about the tow, uh, unless we call the photographs from the coroner's office uh, a document, but it's from the Van Buren Police Department. And let's see, is there a time into custody on the tow form from the evidence chain of custody list? Anybody? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's my guess. That's probably listed somewhere. It'll be after November the 12th, probably after November 15th. I could be wrong. But, you know, look, it was written by memory or it wouldn't say 1230 on it, Laura, right? There's no way in hell it would right. say 1230 on it. So somebody did it by memory and they were filling gaps. But I think it's important to nail that down when we're talking about the truck, which was exculpatory of Jordan, which is listed as 1230, which is entirely not possible. You know, look, on November the 13th, 2018, there is the release of the vehicle back to the registered owner, which is James Reeve. Slide there real quick, but... Again, from a liability standpoint, which I've harped on numerous times throughout the production of this podcast, why would you not make a record of towing the vehicle? And they give it... They give it back to James and they don't ask, you know, hey, it's registered in your name. Do you ever use it? Does anyone else ever use it? Is it like they don't, they don't, once they find out the truck is exculpatory, they just, they're not interested at all. Well, you can tell by the fact that they give it back to the registered owner within six days of taking it. You know, I mean, if this was a car or a piece of evidence that could help them, with proving, you know, who murdered someone during a murder investigation, that car would have stayed in their possession until the trial was over. I mean, if so, if you have a piece of evidence like a car or truck and it has even a small piece of evidence that you are going to use at trial as a prosecutor, you would never give it back to the person who owns it, especially if the person who owns it is the person you're accusing of murder, right? I mean, you keep that thing in possession until the trial's over and you use it at the trial as evidence. Um, but in this case, they, you know, they realized really quickly that it is unhelpful. The, tri- the trucks actually hurts their theory and it hurts their case. It hurts them in this, you know, goal they have to prove Jordan did this, despite the fact that he didn't. Um, so they, they don't want it. They give it back really quick, six days. Like I said, these people, 
they have one goal, and that's to prove that Jordan Shreve is the murderer, despite all evidence to the contrary. And so anything that hurts that goal is going to either be hidden or ignored or studiously avoided or destroyed uh, or worse, right? They don't want evidence. They don't want to keep around evidence that hurts them, that hurts their case. And this evidence was exculpatory as to Jordan. They took it thinking it was a slam dunk. They had this theory, so they took it into evidence. And they realized pretty quickly it's it proves that he didn't have anything to do with it. And they hurry it back to him, you know, just get rid of it. Whoops, you know, who knows what happened to the toe slip. And they don't introduce anything about it into evidence at trial. I mean, this is just like another, you know, another brick in the wall that proves, you know, Jordan is innocent. That is a fantastic way to put it. And on that note, that's a wrap for this week's episode on the truck. We are almost done with evidence collection for the 8th, and then we will proceed on to the crazy days that follow. If you enjoy listening to The Sojo Files, make sure to check out the sister podcast, The Situation, where we talk about current trending topics in the true crime community. I will see you guys on the next episode. <laughs>